uh, the church then and now, we started this series <laughs> several weeks ago on the seven churches, thinking it would take about, you know, eight or nine weeks. And, and it looks like as it continues to stretch out, maybe we'll get it done in seven years. But we're going to get through the seven churches, I can promise you that. And one of the weeks, of course, we had uh, the retreat last week with a couple, so many of us up in the mountains having such a great time with God, and you heard a testimony of that. The week before that was when the power went out and the brand new power lines that they installed down on Highway 9 just broke and came loose and we had no power. But there was something that really was amazing that came out of that. We, we tried to adjust our time based on the information we were given about when we could be in the building and have power. And that didn't work out. But you guys came and then you didn't want to leave. And that was really just a blessing. I want you guys to know what a blessing it was for all of us who are here serving in different capacities to see everybody was here. And and what was amazing to me was the coffee machine wasn't even working. There was no lights in the bathrooms, and you were still staying, you know. Uh, so it was just a great time, I thought, of God just revealing to us, this is who we are. Yes, we're here. We get to have this wonderful time of worship with the music. We get to have the message. We get to hear the testimonies, all the things that God blesses us with. But most of all, we get his presence and the presence of one another in this process. So thank you so much. And thank you guys. Uh, You guys were great in acknowledging the fact that we were here 42 years or we're here 42 years. But it's been a marriage for sure. Uh, And like any other marriage... We've had good days and bad days. Uh, We've had good times and bad times. But it's been a marriage that God has honored and grown and matured in incredible, incredible ways. And so we are extremely grateful to him for that. So the churches, as we look at these churches in um, Asia Minor and the church in Pergamum, there's something here that I want you to really get. This, this, This church was a church in a city that was a great power. Uh, it was also a church in a city where there was so much idol worship that God says, Jesus says, as he's talking to the, the pastor of the church, you're where the throne of Satan is. In other words, these folks got tough duty. And the angel of the church in Pergamum right, the one who has the sharp two-edged sword says this. Now, a lot of imagery as we read the Bible isn't maybe necessarily as convenient for all of us. But in the Roman Empire, 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 get it? When a person had risen through the political system to a certain prominence, he was one who had the power over life and death. And so he held a two-edged sword. And if you're on trial before this particular person in their position of authority, and they said you die, they would drop their sword and you would die. Not everyone had that authority, but notice what it says. Jesus, the one who has the two-edged sword, Jesus is speaking meaning that he had authority over all the political leaders, even Caesar himself. So the one who has the sharp two-edged sword says this, I know where you dwell, 
Please capture that. I know where you are. Please get that. He knows. He knows where you are. He knows where I am. See, this is not just him saying, well, I've heard about it. Or, yeah, there's been rumors. No, he's saying, I know, I know, I know. The Greek word here is, I know absolutely, concretely, I know where you are. I know, he says, I know with absolute certainty. I have personal knowledge. I know where you're living. And you're living in a really, really, really tough place. There were idols everywhere. There was the idol to Zeus, and that may have been the reason for this reference to the uh, throne of Satan. Everywhere. And so there was idol worship of all kinds taking place throughout the whole city of Pergamon. This was a normal part. People would pilgrim there to worship idols, to take part in these ceremonies that were so uh, filled with debauchery. And this terrible, terrible place. And notice what God did through, the, uh, through John, well, originally through Paul and then through John, was establish churches in these places that were so difficult. We have people today who are serving our God in places around the world. We have it pretty nice here. You know, the heat's on this morning. Seats are soft. Lighting's pretty good. We have it so good. That's just not true for everybody who's serving Christ around the world. But we do. And I want you to just think about it. When God says, I know where you are, he means I know where you are. He knows where you are. He knows where I am. And you hold fast my name. In the, in the midst of all the idol worship, in the midst of all the debauchery, all the sexual immorality, all the offerings made to idols. He says, you hold fast my name. Can I ask you a question? Do you? Do you hold fast his name? When somebody's inviting you, to be involved in something that is so contrary to the word of God. Do you hold fast his name? Or do you deny your faith? Do you not want to hurt this one time? It's okay. He said that. And you did not deny my faith. He says, my faith. No one says my Jesus is speaking. He says, you guys living in the city that is the throne of Satan. And you did not deny my faith. Even in the days of Antipas, my witness. Who was Antipas? He was one different historical accounts, but a leader in the church maybe even pastor. And what happened? He was killed. Church tradition says he was put in a big brass pot and it was just heated up until he was cooked inside. 
my faithful one who was killed among you where Satan dwells. Now, that's pretty good commendation, is it not? In fact, that's amazing commendation. But notice what he does as he addresses these churches. He gives them the good, and then he says, it's almost like he says, but, which is what this translation says, I have a few things against you. Because you have there some who hold the teaching of Balaam. Wait a minute, now he's going all the way back to the Old Testament. In case you haven't noticed, they do tie together. It's amazing how God did that. But I have a few things against you because there are some there who hold to the teaching of Balaam. In fact, he says, who kept teaching Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel to eat things sacrificed to idols and to commit acts of immorality. So you also have some who in the same way hold the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Therefore, there's that word. Please capture that word, repent. Or else I am coming to you quickly and I will make war against them with the sword of my mouth. Now, let's boil it down. The teaching of Balaam and the teaching of the Nicolaitans. What was it? It was all about compromise. Balaam was the prophet who was asked by Balak to curse the Israelites. And because God wouldn't let him do it, he would never curse them. But he was always trying to hedge his bet, as it were. And finally, he's on his journey to see Balak to kind of, you know, see if there's another way to do this. And on the way, you've all heard the story where his donkey sees the angel with a sword. And the donkey is smarter than Balaam and turns aside and gets a beating for having done so. Continues on. Happens again. This time he smashes Balaam's foot against the stone wall. Another beating. The next time the angel fixes it so there is no way to get by. And the donkey just lays down. And then, and then, God gives the donkey the capacity to speak. And Balaam has a conversation with his donkey. Now, you may or may not know this if you haven't grown up on the farm, but that's not normal. (laughs) Animals make noises. They typically do not speak in a language that's understandable to us as humans. But this time it was. And in the process, Balaam comes to understand that he is violating the will of God. So let's just take a moment. I would hope it doesn't take a donkey talking to one of us for us to realize how far we have gotten out of the will of God. We're kind of used to it. 
you know, we all have, uh, what is, uh, I'm not sure what all the uh, things are, but uh, we have Siri and things like that in our, our phones and our cars and all now. So we, we're kind of used to this talking stuff, but this wasn't the norm back then. I can't help but remember the story of my cousin uh, lived over in Malden. Her husband, Dennis, had bought her a used Chrysler. This was back years ago. And there was a few things need to be done to it. So he pulls it into his garage one night, closes his garage doors, raises the hood. And he's up under the hood working on this car, doing a few things. And he notices some wires disconnected. And he goes, hmm, I wonder what that is. He reaches over and connects the wires. And when he does, the car starts talking to him. He said, I didn't know where to run. I didn't know what to do. All of a sudden, there in that garage where I was all by myself with that car, the car is talking to me. For those who don't know, Chrysler had an early model of cars that would talk to you. And he said, it scared the daylights out of me. But we're so accustomed to stuff like that. I guess as I thought about that, I tried to put it in our terms today. Are we so accustomed to things speaking to us and there's so much noise in our life that even if God would speak to us through a donkey, that we wouldn't even hear it? Does that make sense? All of a sudden that seemed really muddled, worse when I said it than when I thought it. But God is speaking to us. God is speaking and he says he's speaking to his people And he is so in love with his people, he says, but you have allowed compromise in the church. What was the compromise? Remember, they're living in the realm and the city and the seat of Satan. And the thing that was going on was offerings to idols and immorality. So, why is it not okay, they're saying, I can eat a little bit of meat offered to idols. I can attend temple worship once in a while because if I don't, I'm going to be so exiled from this community. I will literally be like a political, religious leper. And I'll be cast up. I can't have a job. I can't do commerce. I won't have a place to live. So I'll just go ahead and compromise just a little And that was the teaching, as it were, of Balaam and the Nicolaitans was compromise. It's okay. Just do a little bit. You know, it's okay. You can, you can involve yourself in certain forms of entertainment. Just a little bit. It's okay. It, you know, for men and women now, it's, it's okay. You can, you can, you know, you can have a little bit of pornography in your life. It's okay. You're just, just, you're just doing a little bit. It's not, it's not that big a deal. You can compromise. You can go to church service on Sunday, and then you can go wherever it is you want to go on Friday and Saturday. It's okay. It's just a little bit of compromise. It's not that bad to lose your temper every once in a while and let some words fly. It's okay. It's just a little compromise. I don't know. Maybe I'm reading this a little differently than it could be read. But it sounds like to me Jesus ain't all about that. In fact, what he says is, 
I'm going to come with my sword, and my sword is in my mouth, which is what? His word. And he says, my word will be what penetrates your life. We moved now to this narcissistic culture that we're in where it's all about me and what I want and when I want it. And so I don't have to respect authority. I don't have to do what I'm told. In fact, I'll just do whatever the heck it is I want to do. And we're seeing it. It's, it's happening. You know, read Timothy. It says in these days, this is what's going to happen. So we're in it. But in the midst of it, Jesus is commending those who have stayed faithful to him even when these opportunities and temptations have taken place. And we can sit here on a wonderful, yeah, a little chilly Sunday morning in a nice warm building with soft seats and think, well, it's really not that big a deal, really, is it? Well, when Jesus says it is, it is. And he says, therefore, repent. Repent. Let's go back over it. Make sure we all understand it. Repent. That means we are doing something that is contrary to the will and the word of God. And repent means I recognize it because he shines his light on it. And because he shines his light on, the Holy Spirit brings conviction in my heart. And I confess that. I agree with God that it's wrong. And then I turn away from whatever it is that I have been leaning toward and turn back to God. This is really serious stuff that God's doing here. And wanting to do such a great work in his church, his church. In these latter days, so that the light that he has through us will shine so brightly that those that we will encounter in the darkness, and we're not in that darkness yet, thank God. But the light that he will shine through us in the darkness of our world that has gone so away from God as it has will be so bright that people will come to know him. You say, well, but wait a minute. What about Antipas? They killed him and a whole lot of others that didn't get named, so you'll know. But they were willing to go to that extent to keep from compromising the relationship with the Holy God. We can play at this. We can play all we want. But I'm telling you, there's a price called trickle-down. Terry mentioned Reagan being in office. He had trickle-down economy. It's kind of like trickle-down sin. The consequences of sin to the next generation and the next generation and the next generation. And we're the ones. And that's why we're doing these seven churches we're the ones who can change this in our world. We may not can change it in the world, but we can change this in our world. And we, eat, we each get to make that choice every day that we live.
Because it's not a, we make that one-time decision where the Holy Spirit of God draws us to Christ and we come to know him. And that one-time decision is so amazing and so wonderful. And we have this new life and we're transformed into this new person, this new creature that God makes us into for his glory, for his honor, and for his praise. But then the rest of our lives, he's working on allowing us to be more and more like his son, Jesus Christ, so that when you and I step into eternity, whenever that is for us, we will step in having fulfilled what his will and his purpose was for our lives personally. Because every one of us, every one of us, will stand before him, the resurrected Christ, and give an account on how we have lived this life. What a privilege. (laughs) What an opportunity. But notice as he goes on. He who has an ear, let him hear. What the Spirit says to the churches, to him who overcomes, to him I will give him some of the hidden manna. In other words, there is substance that God wants to give us. The reference here may be back to the the covenant, and it could be back to the, uh, the Ark of the Covenant where the manna was placed there to remember how God provided for them in the wilderness. He says, I'm going to give them substance. You're here today and say, I, I, just, I just need more. Guess what? He so wants to give it. Not only that, but he says, and I will give them a white stone. I'm not sure how many of you remember this, but before pandemic, we did this series on prayer and we asked people to pray and we gave those who wanted them a white stone. I'm still carrying mine. I carry it every day. Just a white stone to remind me, to remind me that he loves me and he wants me in contact with him and I need to be praying for others. He says, I'm going to give him a white stone. I'm going to put a new name on that stone. But nobody knows that name but the one who receives it. And the idea behind that was in that particular time in that culture, if you were invited to a very special event, typically it would come on a piece of white stone and your name would be written on the invitation. So when you arrive on that stone, your name would be written on the stone, engraved on it. And so when you arrived, you would show that, present that, and that's how you got in. Do you see what God wants to do for us? You see how amazing this is? You see how incredible it is that here we are in these last days reading and hearing of the churches in the last days that Jesus is talking about. And the reason for this series is what is it that he, he commends? What is it that he condemns? Whatever he commends, let's do that and do it well. And whatever he condemns, Let's confess, let's repent, let's get away from it. And see, some of this is personal, some of this corporate as we go forward. But all of this is each one of us, every one of us, giving an account. And prayerfully, we'll never be called upon to uh, give our lives, actually physically die as a martyr. In the physical sense, but we will be called upon to martyr ourselves when, as I said, someone is saying, well, it's okay, just 
just do a little bit. It's just, it's, it's just a party. What's the big deal? It's just a few drinks. It's just a, an affair. It's just a one-night stand. It's just a contrary to the will and word of God. And it's a compromise in our belief and our relationship with a heavenly, holy Father and the Holy Spirit of God. As this scripture says, if you have ears to hear, listen up. Don't continue down the path you're on if you're in a path of compromise. The path of Balaam, the path of the Nickelodeons, don't continue down that path. Listen with your ears and your ears, the ears of your heart. Confess, repent, in the name of Christ. Would you all stand as we pray? Father, you know our hearts, and I'm so grateful that when you said to the folks there in Pergamum that you know them, you know us. And because you know us, you love us. You love us so deeply, so dearly. It isn't even humanly possible to understand how much you love us. And so here we are. Holy Spirit, shining your light into our hearts. And where there's compromise, where we've been willing to give in to the flesh and give in to the culture and the world around us. Today, there would be hearts broken, hearts convicted, hearts changed. So we're just going to take a minute. We have folks who'll be down front to pray with you, pray for you. Just, just take a minute. We're not in a rush. And it doesn't have to be down front, obviously. This is the body of Christ where we have so many believers who are so willing to come alongside. And it isn't like, oh, I've got to confess my sin. No, you do what God wants you to do. You've heard testimony today of uh, how there are roots in our lives that God wants to uncover and just and reveal to us so we can have help and healing. You've heard testimony of marriages being affected uh, in a very positive way. And Lord, and, and the fact that you've heard testimony of us, that there's endurance, that you, you stay at it, you, you, you just go forward and work in this. So Holy Spirit, continue to move in our hearts and lives right now. Whatever you want to do in our lives right now, do that, we pray. We offer ourselves as living sacrifices to you, Lord Christ, today. And thank you for the privilege the privilege and the privilege that we have to be your kids in these last days. What an amazing, amazing opportunity. Amen.